Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a walk with a guest to take a little wander into their life. In this episode, I'm delighted to be in Richmond Park with David Gandhi. It's kind of a whirlwind for me to think that we are uh, doing this uh, podcast together for a few reasons. It feels so fitting that we're here in Richmond Park because when we started the Stompcast, we did a pilot here with my manager, Harry, walking around Richmond Park. And, you know, we chose the location because it was the place that in many ways saved me throughout the pandemic. It was my escape. It was my relaxation. It was my mental health. And really, and in many ways, the Stompcast was born here. And little did I know, or I could never have imagined, you know, four, five, six months ago that I'd be now recording an episode with David Gandhi in Richmond Park. It's kind of hard to get your head around. David Gandhi is the most successful male supermodel who's known for being the face of many iconic campaigns, including brands like Dolce & Gabbana. David is easily one of the most recognisable faces and names, and it all started after he won a modelling competition when he was 21. David has gone on to set up his own brand, David Gandhi Wellwear, which specialises in making clothes that combine both style and well-being. In fact, I'm wearing one of their tees and hoodies right now. David has done a lot of work in the men's wellness space, partnering with charities such as the Human Organisation, the Hugh Men, very clever, and taking part in events to raise the profile of suicide amongst men. So I think we're going to have an amazing conversation today. Now, we're walking through the absolutely scenic Richmond Park, but you're probably going to hear the sound of planes going over. You can hear one probably coming over right now, and that's because they land in Heathrow. They come every two minutes, so we're just going to roll with it, and, yeah, we'll accept the sound. Hey, pup. The best thing about being walking around here, actually, see so many dogs. Yeah. Do you have a dog? I do have a dog, yeah. But it would be, you'd hear me half the time just... Yeah, yeah that's, that, and that is why Roller is here as well, yeah, because yeah. you just go mad. David, welcome to the Stompcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming for a walk with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the house on the on the corner there, the, with the hoarding of the uh, rain, uh, reindeer, the oh, deer. That, that's yours. Yeah. Oh. That's do you know, I mean, what, you've been doing that for a while though. Uh, a couple of years now. I, I literally yeah. keep going. Do you do it as I keep going past that, going, oh, it's getting there, it's getting there. Yeah. I didn't know that was your place. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, was, uh, oh, great spot. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny because I've literally have commented on that, being like, oh, it's getting there, it's getting there. Well, the history, the, the, it's quite amazing history to the house as well now we're finding out because we found a time capsule. Oh, that's cool. And it was, yeah, uh, from 1960s. That's um, really cool. Which what turned was it out it? to be, I forget his name now, Planer. Um, Nigel Planer who was, he's an actor, you'll recognise him because he's in Blackadder and um, The Young Ones. And we contacted him and said we found a, a time capsule. And he said, yes, me and my brother put that in in 1965. So he then started sending, uh, sending a lot, you know, all the pictures of his family when they moved there. And they built another house down the road and they moved out. And uh, yeah, there's a there's major, major history behind the house now. And it's twinned with one in 
um, the south of France as well. Oh, really? That's so, incredible. So, uh, and so how's, uh, how's the stress levels been renovating? I've been doing my, co- those that are following me yeah. on Instagram, you see I'm doing my cottages in, in Wales. It is quite a stressful process, isn't it? <laughs> it can be. It is. I, I love design because I love renovating stuff. So I, I restore cars and renovate houses. And, you know, people sort of, sort of talk to me about um, designing, uh, sort of about fashion design and everything else. And I sort of say I love design and it's yeah. all merges really into one with me as in, you know, renovating a house, restoring a car, uh, clothes. It's, you know, it, it's combining materials and fabrics and colours and style all together mm. to a coherent mm. finish that people will hopefully appreciate yeah. whatever that way is. And that's, I suppose that's kind of what I've, I've done with my career and, and, uh, you know, sort of getting, it's always surprised me that people give me uh, style awards, which is always quite strange because I always sort of think, you know, or, so I don't, it always takes me about 15, 20 minutes to get ready before going out anywhere. And uh, it's, you know, I've, I've got clothing on from, or suits on from 10 years ago and. I'm sure, they're still very nice and, suits. Yeah, they are, they are <laughs> nice still suits. Very I mean, nice. that's, that's where it's just That's the beauty of having good yeah. suits, it will last you 10 years. And I see sort of people who, other people I know and you know they'll go to one event and it takes them a week of preparing with their team and choosing outfits and their Listen, glam I, squads and everything else. And I, I am very much a roll out the house, chuck on some clothes and, and go kind of yeah. personal. Yeah, sometimes why I, I surprise myself with my outfits. I, I, you know, I catch myself in a glimpse in the mirror and go, what are you wearing today? Like, you're good. <laughs> well, you look very God. smart today. You've got a nice pair of boots on and stuff. You're looking very <laughs> sharp indeed. And I'm Thank nicely you. warm. I've got one of your hoodies on and, uh, and a tee as well. Yeah, so I'm nicely warm and tucked up. Because it is cold, isn't it? It's a cold it's day. Cold, but it's, it's actually uh, minus two as we're recording this. Okay. Right? I looked at the car as we got out. Yeah. It is minus two, but uh, there's no weather will stop us stomping, which is great. <laughs> you, you were saying about the restoration. And before we kind of dive into the rest of the podcast, um, I absolutely love... I'm, I love my cars. I'm an absolute car nut. Yeah. I'm about to start restoring uh, an old T90 Defender that is a oh, February 1991 car, which is exact, exactly <laughs> the month and year that I was born. Amazing. Which is quite cool. Yeah. What cars have you restored? So I started off... Uh, by the way, this is not me restoring them. There are teams that restore them. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't drive yes, a car I, that I restored. I'm also towards, saying so. that. I should say that. I am getting someone else to do a good job rather than me yeah. doing it terribly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, love, it's something I would love to learn to do. Project managing, should we say that? P- project managing is a good idea. Creative director, if I was, <laughs> or as I always say. Um, checker, yeah. So, yeah, I started off with uh, a Mercedes 190 SL from 19, oh. 1960. Oh, beautiful car. Um, beautiful. I sold that one. Uh, just for look, I wasn't using it. I believe you should use classic yes. cars. They shouldn't be, be stored well, in a big collection somewhere. Well, it's not good for the still, is it, already? No, mm-hmm. and so then I did a Jaguar Classics, restored a uh, 1954 XK120 nice. for me, which I just just took part in the Mille Mille in the UAE. So Wellware sponsored that. So it's been licensed out from Italy to the UAE. Wow. So we shipped the car out there and we took part in that. And then I just... I say just completed, and I, I completed ages ago, but I've lost, with COVID and lockdown and stuff, I, I've lost a couple of years somewhere. Um, so I finished that about 18 months ago, that's a Porsche 356. Beautiful. Um, I love the classic uh, Porsches and stuff, they're just they so... Are. I think the I think in, in those kind of like the 90s, especially 60s, that era, 50s, 60s, 70s, I think cars were built like with primarily beauty in mind, weren't they? Now, <laughs> I guess the beauty is, I guess, you know, a lot of the cars now, they build different aerodynamics and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But in the past, they just thought, it looks nice. Yeah. 
Uh, well, who you, cares you, how you're it six foot three, aren't you? Yes, we're the same so, height. Yeah, so we're not we share so. many uh, um, similarities, <laughs> of course. As I've got. Why yeah. are you laughing, T? Yeah. How dare you, Charlie? But we're not built for classic cars. Let's no, we're not. Way, so, All uh, modern cars, actually, really, either. Like, the modern supercars don't fit, but nope. lucky enough, I can't buy them anyway. I'll stick, <laughs> my, I'll stick with my Defender. Rattle around in my Defender. Well, no, thank you so much for joining me on the Stompcast. It was, it's a funny one because you know, I posted a picture of my boxers, jokingly saying I'm going to be next to uh, David Gandhi. Very much tongue-in-cheek. Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and you were very kind enough when we chatted on Instagram to say you'd come on. So I really appreciate it. And I've, no I've, I've seen you on Jonathan Ross in the past. I've seen a lot of your interviews and stuff. And everyone always says you're a very down-to-earth and likeable guy. I think you proved that being like, yeah, sure, I'll come on the Stompcast. So I really, I really, I really do appreciate well, it's it. Also- Slightly selfish. It's ten seconds from the house I'm restoring to go for a quick walk for a well, cup of coffee. So it's, it's, it's worked out absolutely beautifully <laughs> so, because yeah. it's nice for us to get out and about in a place like this, and it it's, is. Uh, it is. it's a it's a gorgeous day. So why why are we here? You're, you're renovating the house around the corner, but why why do yeah, you like this well, park? Well, I'm so renovating the house around the corner, but it's um, this is my little sanctuary in London, really. This is what I get away from things. So I bring the dog virtually every morning, and that's how I got to see the house actually where we were. Um, which I'm restoring because I walked past the house. I used to go walk past this house and it always intrigued me because it was an architectural mongrel and still is. It's got a cupola and a Dutch gable and thing else. But you know, it looked around, it looked over. It's very unusual and everyone knows the house. But this is where I come every morning. This everyone is, does uh, know the house. In fact, I was saying to you before we started, I've walked, I've, I've walked past that so many times coming into East Sheen Gate. <laughs> And they'd be like, wow, that's a lovely place. It's slowly getting renovated. And yeah. now it turns out it's you who's <laughs> renovating it. Um, hopefully you'll be done sooner rather than later. Yeah. Sure um, yes, yeah, soon hopefully being next week. But uh, you know what renovations like? They, they take years. And even when you're in, it takes years to sort of get it how you want. I, I restored my house in Fulham and I think it took me, well, I mean, we were in immediately, but throughout the years of living in the house, I improved things. It took me seven years to actually go, Re- this is it now. Like I finally am so happy with everything. I think I'll sell it. <laughs> so <that's laughs> I'm fascinated to talk to you uh, for many reasons, but I really want to talk to you about uh, male body image. Yeah. And it's something that has become a bigger topic of conversation. I suspect it's probably mm-hmm. been an issue for a long time. Just something that's never really talked about. As as a model, is it? Do, do you? Do you worry about how you look? Has, it, has body confidence been something you've thought about in the past? I guess you have to get prepared for shoots or if you've got a big dolce yeah, campaign, but is it something that's actually bothered you on the inside, if that makes sense? never bothered me mm. because I've always... You see, people, I, I totally presume that um, I have uh, trained and been in the gym and look after myself because I'm in the fashion industry. Mm. And I never have, but I, I played every sport possible. I've always played trained. rugby and stuff, didn't you, in the day? Yeah, cricket, rugby, anything that could get me out of a school classroom, I played. Um, and then, and that just basically continued. And when I couldn't play sport and I couldn't be competitive, then it was, I just carried on training. And then I suppose the competitive side of me then wanted to know more about the gym and the inquisitive side, so I understood about nutrition and training. Um, so it was nothing to do with the fashion industry. I just train it so how I wanted my body to look and how I felt more comfortable. Because the interesting thing, I guess, is that if people don't know part of your story, I guess, is that you got into it without maybe intending that you were going to be a model. Is that, is that fair? Because you did yeah, you yeah, no, no, actually competition yeah, was, 21, yeah. but you, you just were kind of doing your thing in life and then it just yeah. kind of happened, right? Which predominantly is what happened to most of the, uh, 
I, I suppose now the, the older generation of models is they didn't aspire to be models, they were scouted. Um, probably more for the men. Yeah. And that's how it happened. Now people, there's aspirations to be a model. So I probably get 20 messages a week on Instagram saying, I want to be a model. How do I do it? From guys. And um, so that's changed in, in the 20 years I've been in the industry. Yeah, I mean, going back to so like the body image thing, it's, it's a difficult thing for me to talk about. And all I can say is that, um, or even comment on it, I say is that I've, I've just had, you know, trained and been healthy for me, for no one else. And that's, um, that's what I've done. You know, that, that's, you know, when I came into the industry, it was all about the androgynous skinny model. So I was slightly over, you know, six foot two. I wasn't particularly big at the time, which was getting bigger and bigger the more I trained. And that was for me. So I didn't fit anything. I used to go to castings and they'd put sample size on me and you that would never fit. And yeah, Tom Ford would go, here's the big guy and try and fit me into something that I didn't fit. And um, yeah, I was, you know, I, I was the complete opposite to what everyone did. But then when Dolce came along and they were looking for a, uh, I suppose, Mediterranean-esque sort of classic looking man, uh, slight, you know, bigger built and everything else. Then the the pool at that point, the fisher pool in, in that room, there wasn't many guys because they'd all gone the other route. They'd all followed this route of all the, all the agencies had of having skinnier guys. I was never going to be, you know, I was never going to be that and I was never comfortable as that. It feels like there's a bit of a lesson in there in general regarding, regardless of whether you want to go into modelling or not. It's like, do what, do your own thing. Don't just follow what everyone else is doing because you never know not just when the fashion is going to tra change in the modelling industry, but things change. And actually, if you're generally like authentic to yourself and your own genetics, because you're six foot three, you've got broad shoulders, but a similar shoulder set to I have. We're never going to be super skinny unless we fight every <laughs> genetic. Yeah. You know, I know you can get lean and all that kind of stuff, but you're always going to have this kind of, your body's going to try and fill its frame, isn't it? Of course. Of so course. you're going to try and fight against what your body wants to do, or you kind of get your yeah. own niche. The thing with people, following crowds and that in the in the fashion industry there was men can be very pack orientated and they're comfortable all dressing the same all doing the same thing that's comfortable Do, being different is not comfortable for people and that was in the fashion industry there were sort of groups of guys who'd go around in in, in new york and i always talk about this the first time i went to new york in back in the day when you used to have a fax and you used to get faxed your appointments throughout the day and it was you just we used to walk mile after mile going to casting after casting and you'd all do it in the group so i did this first casting and obviously 10 guys from select would all go into the yeah. same same casting or go and see the same person now after the second third book the person is clearly bored you know they're thanks very much you're going to see the next one so i looked at it and thought well i sneaked off and went to do the last one first and then came back. So I, was, I had this that. individual moment of just 10 minutes of going in saying, hi, I'm Dave, I'm so sorry. I, I know I should be here at five o'clock, but I'm here at you know, yeah. 10 o'clock. Can I get a quick 15 minutes? And they were like, yeah, absolutely, David. You'd have a conversation with them. They had time. And it ended up that me and my friend, and my friend then came and did the same thing. We were asked to stay in New York for quite a while after that because we had work and castings and all the other guys just got sent home because they were just doing the same thing as everyone else. So. That That's was, so smart, isn't it? It's like doing things uh, maybe differently to how people expect, but sometimes being different is a, yeah. is, is a, be yeah. is a benefit. How do you deal with, and I know, I, I, and I get from the position that you know, you were, you've 
you've kind of gone right to the top of, of modeling and so on, but I've no doubt there were rejections along yeah, the way course, because absolutely. I understand that's part of it, isn't it? Yeah, how, yeah. how do you deal with the rejection, especially when it's something basically either rejecting you because how you look or how you are, you don't fit their role, right? I presume. <laughs> Is that like kind of roughly? Yeah, so either you, way it's personal, isn't it? Or yeah, not personal? It's, but. it's not personal. And mm. I have to cast now for, for wellware. And it's not personal at all. Uh, you can meet the models and the models, you are judged on pretty much your looks mm. the minute you walk in, you know, that five minutes you are with that, you know, with that person. And you're looking for a certain person to be able for your vision or for that creator, for that vision to come to life. And it's not personal. That person doesn't quite fit. And that could be, it's a little bit down to personality as well. I mean, I've cast the guys who work with Wellware. Uh, they're not on for one season, they're on for a few seasons or for a few years because they've virtually become an ambassador. So I want people to talk about wellness and talk about well-being and you know, that's something that was in our criteria as well, as well as the looks that needed we needed for wellware. So it was never personal for me. I, I absolutely always understood that. You can't be in the fashion industry if, it's, if you're worried about... If you're, you've got to be thick-skinned. Um, but... Yeah, it was. Uh, that's just part of it. You know, did you notice just... around you? Because uh, you know, I guess, and probably part of your success was that mindset. But did you notice looking around you that other people maybe didn't take it as well? And I wonder, was there a difference between men and women at that time? Because um, you know, eating disorders are, are on the rise now, but we know within select groups they're a lot higher. I guess within yeah. the modelling industry and acting and yeah, I don't. I mean, it's something that I, whether that's. <laughs> an actual stat mm. or whether it's not I don't know uh, I gather it is but then I know or I've heard of um, ballerinas um, jockeys mm. sports people they all have to you know as a model you know when you're training you're training for like, I am virtually training eating like a sportsman mm. like that's that's the way I do something and that's so I, you know, that's no different uh, the cliches are I think one of the biggest issues being we're not educated in nutrition. I believe we should be at schools. And it's just, you know, people say to me, oh, you're a model, yeah, you, might, you, you can't eat much. And so when I say to them, well, I consume 3,500 calories a day. Yeah. And they say, well, how do you do that and stay as you are? And I say, because it's eating the right stuff. Yeah. There's it's a big the right difference between eating 3,500 of a certain food exactly. type exactly. and uh, a different food type. Yeah. And and I'm it's a, a whole as, different As you said, we're, we're six foot two, mm. six foot three guys. We're burning easily more than 2,500 calories by doing virtually nothing. But if you're busy, and I get up at seven o'clock in the morning and I don't stop until one o'clock, really. I'm in the gym at nine, 10 o'clock at night, every night. We've got, I've got children, work, you know, I don't stop you're burning three and a half, four thousand calories. Mm. So you've got to consume that to, um, to, of course, maintain the size you are. And that's more my biggest issue is to uh, contain the right nutrients and the right proteins and the correct amount of proteins and calories to actually keep me the size I am, the size that I'm happy with. Mm. So, um, but again, it's, it's, it's alien to people because that's not what they've heard. Yeah. That it's about dieting and... Mm calories and everything else and again it's uh, just uh, like nutritionally inept in many ways of not understanding this um, you know the idea of uh, of you know, when you say well you need you know you need supplement if you're going to the gym mm. take proteins and women have asked me I said make sure you have a protein shake after you go to the gym because it's about nutrition but I don't want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger 
Yeah. And you sort of go, it doesn't quite work not, like that. Yeah. doesn't work, it's not going to happen. Well, it's kind of people like saying, well, they only want to train certain muscle groups or, or whatever because they don't yeah. end up with like big arms and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it just doesn't, yeah. doesn't work, it doesn't work like yeah. that. But I, th I think you're right. Back to that point around teaching of nutrition, I believe we should be teaching that at school because I think we could probably prevent a lot of eating disorders by adequate teaching. For example, if you are yeah. at the in the belief system that if I if I eat this, or that automatically, if I eat a carb, I get fat, yeah. or if I eat a fat, I get fat. Yeah. If we can actually debunk a lot of myths and actually give a basic of understanding, yeah. just, just to be well, people yeah. will be better and healthier regardless of, Absolutely. of anything else, don't they? Absolutely. It's the, you know, the, the idea of eating a bowl of pasta is bad. Yeah. Uh, all you need to do is go to Italy and look at people who eat pasta and bread and olive oil and butter and everything else and tiramisu. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, there and they have done that for years you know my my grandparents i grew up with you know my my grandmother making us roast dinners and they're all made of like full lard and my granddad would have an inch of butter on his bread they weren't obese they weren't fat they weren't overweight they weren't highly into training but they were it was just understanding of what were what they were eating and also it being natural and organic you know you say organic now but back then my grandparents were doing everything was kind of organic. And, and doing that and working that with your, because most things in life are na nature and nurture, right? So there is an element of, again, going back to our size and our shape. We're going, yeah. we, we are always going to be preferentially genetically moving towards a certain shape. And then you nurture, I guess, uh, the rest of it. Yeah. With the industry and, and, you know, when you when you started and Dolce kind of were publicly um, I guess trying to make a, a, a change in particularly the male side of the industry and yeah. I, I think it's because I'm I'm 31 and you're 41 is that right? 42 yeah. 42 so as I was growing up you were that age where you were kind of the first kind of bigger man like what I would say was more kind of seen as a, like muscular sized man I guess yeah. growing up. Yeah yeah So I, that was something that was very obvious to me because all yeah. the other models were I would say maybe more feminine size very yeah. very slim so it was a yeah. clear difference. Do you think that has kind of crossed over now into the female modelling industry? Because we are seeing more plus-size models. Is that kind of a replication in that, or is it a trend, a fad? What is the direction of it with body well, types? I mean, we, we, we do say that we see in that, but I mean, if you look at Sophie Dahl, she was a plus-size model and very famous and very mm. successful. I think it's, now it's more, I suppose, people talk about it more. And we are seeing that. But it, I, I always think the fashion industry has been quite inclusive of everyone. And I think we're in a time that is uh, much more, it's much more accepted that everyone can be uh, on the front of a magazine or in people's clothing. And it, because that has now changed, of course, Alex has now changed to really your social following and your engagement. And this yeah, is how sure. the fashion industry has changed. So brands are less likely uh, probably to to really worry about what you look like and if you fit their sample sizes it's really now well, how many how many followers do you have well i was going to say the next question i was going to say is like how has the world changed now that social media has come in I mean, you've got a million, you've changed, got a million yeah. you know you've got a million yeah. followers and so on but it feels like it's like i was talking to someone in the music industry the other day it's almost a prerequisite now as soon as you walk through the label's door it's like right what is your genre what's your singing yet let's see your music right how many followers have you got yeah have you got tiktok yeah how many followers in well, what's engagement rate on tiktok i mean the modeling agencies will have their you also see their sizings, their hair colour, everything else with their portfolio. And then they'll have their Instagram link, their Twitter link, their Snapchat, how many followers, how many people. So 
Uh, Does that mean also, I can become a model then? Because it'll say like, okay, he's not he's <laughs> two million. Okay, fine, he can be a model. <laughs> it's not about, big yeah, I mean, well. I suppose we mentioned our people as influencers or say yeah, influential yeah, yeah. people, and that's that's the idea of brand. I, I haven't done. I, I believe in creative. You know, light blue sure. uh, was you know, sort of pre-social media days. So what you had to do back then was just you know incredible creative and, and make an impact, and that's what Dolce and Mario and, and everyone did. That's less now is, let's forget about the creative. They don't need to build that now. They don't need to get a model like me, who's, who wasn't particularly very well known, and create something for them. It's uh, what they've done. You know, what they can do is get someone with 10 million followers with a massive engagement, and that's how you're cast, I suppose, now. And that's why you're seeing more and more influential people, influencers, sportsmen, musicians, you know, sort of looking, you know, be representing brands because it's uh, it's instant coverage for those for yeah. those brands. Right. Before we end part one, I'm going to ask you, what do you take on a stomp? What is in your stomping toolkit? Stomping toolkit. Uh, really depends if I'm with children or not. Uh, I take the children. Baby then. wipes. Baby wipes. <laughs> There's a unicorn in there somewhere. Um, tissues always in. There's always uh, there's always a poo bag because I've always got my dog with me everywhere I go. So uh, whatever jacket I have, I know there's a poo bag in there. It's kind of sad, the um, number of people are bonded over poo bags. So people, you walk with the dog, you'll always get asked, oh, sorry mate, do you mind if you, you have a poo, poo bag? Yeah. Number of conversation yeah. starts, oh, how did you get turned there? Well, you just didn't have any poo bags. Yeah. And you, you also might understand of um, hunt the poo or find the poo. So ah, your dog yes. poos and you're slightly a little bit where you know it's there. And now I've talked to a lot of dog owners who are still <laughs> trying, to, trying to find the poo of their dog. And I'm like, it's there, oh, thank you so much. And it's, it's a weird a, conversation you have with it's people. It's like they said, the joys of parenting, I guess, the jo- joys of dog ownership. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Like in a horrible wet day and you're picking up dog poo. This is uh, I'm so stunning here today, though. It's just absolutely gorgeous. But that's about it, mate, really. Just, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's a bit... I, I've got to have my phone because, unfortunately, still walking around here in the morning, yes, I, I do a good sort of three and a half, four miles, but then with the dog. Um, the but that is still phone. going through emails of... It, it's just combining my times really to be the most uh, most efficient so there is a dead spot actually we're just coming up to it which sounds really weird i know from these trees all the way around i get like 20 minutes of... are you literally like right lovely i can't <laughs> it's like, literally yeah I'm no one get hold of me for this 20 minutes the funny so thing is they lovely. probably work out they've probably got used to your routine they know it's like right he's gonna in about yeah. a minute he's gonna go to the dead spot so call him now wait oh, I 20 have. and they'll call you the second that's very true actually, I've, I've sat by these trees so many times because i know that's where I can still call people or get some signal and then I send everything and then I, I move on. But um. Well, it's uh, the walk and I think that people often say, um, I, I mean, ideal is obviously an ideal world. We won't touch our phones for a whole walk, but that, and realistically, that's, that's often just not, just not realistic. No. But if anyone uh, listening thinks, oh, how do I combine stomps if I'm busy? Walk and talk. I always say that, like walk and talk. And my, I say to my manager and she tries to put together clumps of phone calls that mm. I can walk because I'm Ooh. walking I'm outside yes yeah, maybe not absolutely ideal I'd love no. to be off the phone but yeah. at least I'm outside while doing the call yeah I, I mean I do the same our office is in central London for Wellware and we're in uh, staying in Chelsea at the moment well, I've done it when we were living in Fulham is I know I've got a number of calls to make and of course to be on but I'll walk home yeah so I'll walk back to Chelsea and I used to walk back to Fulham people think I thought I was mad but one it's just, I've got stuff to do, I'm not going to do it in the back of a car. And getting exercise, I like being outside, and I'll, and I'll do that. And it'll take me an hour and a quarter. But 
Again, it's being that efficient side of uh, making the most of your time, really. And when you're on about like, you know, oh, you have to starve yourself as a model or whatever, that's, well, if you bring it movement into your day, then you kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, you... people always surprised when they ask me, like, and they say, how much cardio do you do? I go, nothing. You well, how much, what, you don't run? No, don't spin, no. No, cycle, no, nothing. What do you do at the gym? I, I train, I work my muscles. Um, and they said, well, then where do you get your cardio from? Like walking. That's walking it. is a great form. Walking. And there, guys, you've heard it from David Gandhi himself. Yeah. Walking is a great form of exercise. Yeah. You walk every day, it's great for your body. <laughs> and that'll bring us to the end of part one. So thanks everyone for joining us. It is a cold but very crisp day in Richmond Park. Really enjoying this walk and talk that we're having here. We'll see you very, very soon. If you're coming back for part two straight away, enjoy. If not, whenever you're stomping again next. See you guys. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.